0: Welcome to your sophomore year at the Tragedy Academy, where you are the teacher and we are the students. Together, we learn from past tragedy to lay the foundation for a better humanity. The only supplies you'll need are an open mind and a sense of humor. So, tilt that chair back, talk at a turn, and never raise your hand. Because this is the Tragedy Academy and Class Session. And I'm Pura Scott. do you love it when things come together? I, I do indeed. All right. Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and today I am joined by special guest, Kirk Nermy. How are you doing today, Kirk? I'm doing great, Jay. How are you doing? I'm sitting here awkwardly saying hi to you twice, as if we hadn't just said hi. And <laughs> had a little
1: technical issue earlier. Oh, we're, we're letting people behind the curtain, huh? Right. Uh, this is called the Tragedy Academy. And <laughs> wait a minute. So,
0: so you're an attorney. Um, So, for those of you who don't was, know, Kirk was, was an attorney. Okay,
1: was I'm, an very attorney. Proud, I'm very proud of the was. So, you very know, pr- <laughs> good. <dude. laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm
0: glad you said that because when I was looking through some things earlier before you came on, yeah. some random thing came up about passing the bar. And it was. It was, you know, a factoid that, you know, it wasn't actually just a test and it was, you know, metaphorically the bar between like the people sitting in the the courtroom on the outside and on the inside was where you practice law. I never knew that. However, I did directly go to whether or not somebody should... When they pass the bar, the last test be that they have to hurdle that thing to get in. And if they don't, they, get, they don't get to pass the bar.
1: Is, is that is that something you think they should implement? Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll have to give that some thought. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say no because I, Perry, I'll use Perry Mason as the example, right? Perry Mason in his wheelchair could not, could not clear that bar. Oh, I,
0: I did not think about the ADA compliance in this scenario. Yeah, I definitely yes. did not include the ADA. Sorry, <laughs> um, I, I apologize to everybody out there. Um, so, for those of you who don't know. Um, Kirk was the lead counsel for Jody Arias in the 2013 trial of uh, for murder of Travis Alexander in uh, 2008, legal commentator on Court TV, author of numerous books, uh, Trapped with Arias, Parts 1 and Parts 2 and 3, um, and then another book that I loved, uh, Defend Your Greatness. I purchased that myself um, and really uh, have enjoyed it thus far. And uh, more recently, you're involved in season three of Radical Body Transformation and doing some acting as well. Is that correct? Did I run through all that? Did I give you your credentials? You got it all correct. Oh, wait, co-host on a podcast, part of the collective, I think it was, with uh, Get Real with Robin?
1: Yeah, we we do a podcast where the tagline is, um, you know, we have those awkward conversations that nobody wants to be a part of, but you really need to hear So uh, Robin and I have a lot of those conversations about very um, serious matters, but hopefully in a way that um, helps people process some of their own pain and some of the things they need to overcome in their lives to move forward. So um, we have some great but serious conversations on that show, and and I love it. Robin's great. I love so. that. Uh, yeah. And, and
0: I, I recognize that you guys use the tools that
1: I love and that's candor
0: and humor. Yeah. Um, in order to get by in this day and age, I think we need to get back to the simple task of communication and taking things at face value and not giving them so many different facades, you know, so many different viewpoints or wearing masks when we interact with each other and stuff like that. It's better to just take it back, strip it down and have these hard conversations, you know in the raw so that people, they're not as vulnerable and trapped with their own thoughts and their own situations, not knowing that everybody else is struggling with the same things
1: and it's okay to discuss. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I find, you know, I had a great mentor in Sean Stevenson, Dr. Sean Stevenson, people can look him up. He was born with brittle bone disease and became a a PhD and a, a TED speaker and worked in the Clinton White House as an intern. Really impressive, powerful guy. But one of the things that he was fond of reminding us at the time that we're working with him in our public speaking is that all our problems, although they may take different form, are really the same. There's a lot of base in the same. There's a lot of commonality in the same. So I can have conversations with different people, you know, like me going through what I did with the ARIAS trials, a completely different experience than other people have gone through. But at their core, maybe it wasn't. And so we can connect on that level and we can both grow on that level by learning from each other.
0: I like that you point that out because in all actuality, it's, it's a matter of perspective as to the, you know, the degree of the pain and suffering or struggle that anybody endures based on their own experiences over time. So there are parallels between an experience of, you know, defending someone that is so infamous in, in all these different ways right. or for whatever toll that it might've taken on you. But it's no different than somebody having equivalent scenarios within their experiences, no matter where it is. And we need to start looking at the fact that the reaction to the situation is really where we need to focus. It's not what the situation was. It's how we react to them because that's the mirror. That's the item inside that's causing us to feel that way.
1: Ultimately, yes. I mean, I think if we we begin to realize, one, for instance, when I was doing the ARIES trial, I didn't want to be there. I'd filed motions to withdraw. There were lots of of things going on behind the scenes that people weren't aware of. But I can then connect to somebody who's working a dead-end job that they can't get out of. I was bullied online during that. I can connect to a teenager that was bullied online and we have similar feelings and similar experiences. So it's not just a mirror as to me as, as much as that commonality, that common core of humanity that we all have that you know, we tend to separate ourselves in, into individuals. And while we're individual entities, we tend to forget that we come from the same source. We can, we're all part of this human community And we're really if Mm. if we do it right, we should be working on unifying each other instead of finding reasons to divide each other. Right. So that's when I talk about those common experiences, those common pain points. It's real easy for someone to say, well, you know, you don't know what it was like to go what I what I went through. And it's real easy. And they can say, yeah, you know, I've never been in that situation. But as, as you talk about when you talk about my book, Defend Your Greatness, it's not written for somebody who gets stuck trying a high-profile case with a hated criminal defendant. It's written for everybody that is unhappy, that has been disconnected from their greatness and wants to reconnect to their greatness and maybe doesn't even understand that they have their greatness. So, you know, that common bond to me is what keeps me wanting to write books like that and have conversations like these and and do the podcast we talked about.
0: That's amazing. And I think you are correct. It is something that we need to recognize that there is commonalities amongst everybody. And uh, just to kind of fine tune what I was explaining earlier is that in order for someone to be able to become great, they have to reconcile all the things within themselves that are preventing them from identifying the fact that they even have it. For me, um, having gone through uh, some struggles in life growing up, very poor, you know, bullied, like you had yeah. said, um, you know, not from any kind of uh, situation that was favorable coming up. I went to the military, did my time and then uh, went to college at night and uh, got my degrees and things like that. I moved on to the professional world, chased the six figure jobs and traveled to other countries. And I, I went through all these things. And then um, I realized that uh, every time I was on, un- it was dissatisfied at every juncture. Every time I got to a new level or a new material item or a new perception from everybody, you know, because that's what really what we're looking for. We're looking for favor, you know, at the end of the day, we're looking for how other people look at us. That's why we try to get the material things. And I had just gotten to a point where I was on my knees. There was no satisfaction in anything, but what is authenticity? And finding out that this is the parallel that I think I had mentioned to you earlier about finding your greatness. I think that there's something that really mirrors and goes alongside that real well, and that's finding your authenticity. When you do that, when you start to be like that child, those things that you see, you know, you had mentioned in your book that we have that instilled in us in the beginning, that greatness, that creativity, that drive, that spark, whatever that is, right? And and it's lit. And we walk through all these things trying to create some socially acceptable rendition that might allow us to do what we did, you know, what we wanted to do originally maybe when we're 40. What we fail to realize is that it's really attempts to plug the holes that created all of those layers that prevented us from
1: doing it to begin with. For me. Well, well let, let me offer some perspective on that. And I think what really happens is this, in a nutshell, this demon of practicality and pleasing other human beings come into focus, right? So when People are taught, young actors, young performers, people that want to do different, the artists think people want to do different things in their life, that usually the adults around them have this demon of practicality that they've infused into their life and saying, okay, listen and and this happened to me at my grandparents i love my grandparents they were the best but they were they grew up in during the depression and so to them if you have a steady job you don't quit your job you got to have a very practical yes. life right and a lot of people are that way for for many different reasons and so a lot of people get steered away from their passions um and maybe that's we we allow that to happen for for sake of love and connection or it's out of fear, or what have you, right? But ultimately, we're we're kind of sold on this idea, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, this idea that if we have certain things, I don't think it's to impress other people. I think what we're told is if we have certain things, then we're going to be happy. If we have the house, we have the partner, then happiness trails that, right? When the reality is happiness has to be the engine, not the caboose, right? And that's one of the big changes I made in my evolution. One of the things I try to teach in Defend Your Greatness is that confrontation with that question, are you happy? And I say confrontation because it's easy to dismiss it and say, well, listen, I've got a, a new new car and my, I love my wife. I've got
0: That's always the first words that people go to. Well, I've got, and those are not, I'm happy for whatever reason. You're right. Spot on. Right.
1: But we're told that those are the precursors to happiness. Correct. when, When it's really not, and it does become, and this is why I'm a big uh, advocate, and people think I'm a lot of people think I'm crazy when I say this of intentions, not goals. Because what happens with goals, right? I want this promotion, I want this car, I want a bigger house, what, whatever it is. And then you get it, and then it's on to the next goal. The moments of happiness are brief. But if you intend to grow, if you tend to expand, if you tend to know yourself better in whatever venture you do, you can't lose because you're always winning and you're always growing. And if happiness becomes that beacon, right, then you're following that beacon of happiness and it becomes what is making me more happy. And then the other things trail along. So we need to kind of reverse, reverse engineer, or or one of the, the the ways I like to say it is just throw the garbage off. We need to start throwing some of that garbage off because as a child we had these passions. You know, I I, I tell the story in the book about connecting to a book she wants to be a lawyer in grade school and having all the, you know, just connecting to it for whatever reason. And then having that demon of practicality steer me away, you know, and, and, and the people that are steering you away, they're not malintentioned. They're not trying to sabotage you, but they're echoing their own experience. They're echoing what they thought they were taught how to live. And that may not, Matter Like I always say, you know, whatever you think about Mark Zuckerberg, right? How impractical was it for him to drop out of college or or Steve Jobs and make it less political to do all these things that they did, but they brought something powerful to the world. Because they followed what was in their heart, no. not because they thought, "Well, mom and dad want me to finish my education, so I better do that." It's it's authenticity. When you say follow what's in your heart, that's
0: what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. If if it's in your heart, it will be authentic to you. For me, it was it was getting back to that root and finding out that um, you know today you're dressed like a champ, right? Me, I'm wearing a T-shirt, right? And the fact of the matter is I had to understand that I have to love me for me and whatever I feel is the most connected with my heart. If what you won't work, I I now understand that it's not work if you're pursuing what you love. Yeah. Right. And I feel like when you do those things, if you are authentic, you end up coming back to that core being that you were in your childhood. And that's what I was saying earlier. You get to utilize all those experiences that you had when you circle back as tools in your toolbox. And it's, it's authenticity as well. I love, you know, that passion is born of what we were created to do. You know, we're, exactly. we're here for a reason. And the fact that we're here and by not doing What you are created to do, just by not being authentic for whatever your religion is, whomever you are, whatever you believe, it is a slap in the face of wherever you came from, because you're doing absolutely what
1: you weren't intended to do. It's a disconnection. And it's going to be something that is not going to be as powerful as if you let the universe guide you. You let the universe guide you, the powers will be phenomenal i mean you know you could say to me for example i have no business acting i have no business doing that i don't you know i don't have years of training i didn't go to you know but guess what um i think i'm pretty good at it and i'm getting work and and that that's it, right and and so it's authentic it speaks to my heart and and i think when you talk about authenticity though It has some of it, though, has to be now centered. It has to be very now centered, always now centered, a mindful,
0: mindful, mindful moments. You have to live in the now. I agree with you 100 percent. I preach that on the show all the time
1: because I loved being a lawyer until I didn't love being a lawyer. Right. And then so you can't say, oh, hey, I gave up this career Well, yeah, I did. I made the choice to ask for voluntary disbarment so I could, you know, because I think if you have a fallback position, that fallback position is where you're going to land, right? Instead of a few few years suspension, I said, no, my heart, I didn't, I'm not going to fight in the chemo chair. And people should know this too. A lot of these lessons came from me looking at my mortality, Hmm. um, you know, and, and really promising myself that. If I survived cancer, I had stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma right after the ARIES trial. And I knew right away that the reason for that cancer invading my body was the stress of the ARIES trial for two and a half years, being in the spotlight, losing my anonymity, all those threats, et cetera, et cetera. That if, if I was going to survive that, I was not going to live my remaining years the way I had the prior years. And that meant confronting myself with the question, are you happy? And that meant big changes and casting away that fallback position.
0: That correlation is not one that many people make that see that the living conditions with which they're operating within their lives are a direct result of the metaphysical issues, you know, or the cancer or, you know, any kind of depression, anxiety, bipolar, or, you know, digestive, whatever they are, they're in direct correlation with the issues that you're dealing with that are immediately within your life or have layered over time. They're not just, you know, hey, I came in contact with this and that caused that. We have to live ourselves, you know, in a way that, you know, once, if we are operating within those confines, like a very dark environment, like you were operating and you can't help but not take on all of that darkness and all of those feelings and all of that into yourself and carry it forward. And if there's no release, this is why I preach meditation. Yeah. If there's no, if there's no release or maybe transformative processes like yourself, that's a mindful moment working out and things like that. But if you don't have that release for those things, because I mean, let's face it, you're not the only lawyer that's had to sit in that chair. And I'm sure that a lot of them are going through it. And if you don't have that mental health platform, you know, to work from, you're not going to get through these situations. You're going to bottle them up and come up with things like cancer or, you know, other, like I just listed earlier, you're going to get all those things just from not naturally having a way to
1: purge yourself of what we weren't supposed to get to begin with. And I think even when we do that, because even back then I exercised, I meditated, I did all those things, but I think there can still be that disconnection, you know, like Michelle Obama uh, Obama famously said, you know, our greatest health crisis is obesity. I would hmm. think it's unhappiness, because unhappiness can lead to obesity, it can lead to substance abuse, uh, you know, drinking, depression, all those sort of things, right? So working on, and, and like I say, it, it's it's kind of embarrassing in one sense to say, but it's the truth. I never confronted myself with the question, are you happy, until my late 40s, because I assumed I was because I had achieved the th- the dreams of my 20s, right? That's not embarrassing because I think that we have like
0: a whole section of videos and movies and books dedicated to the retrospection at around our age that says, "Yeah, am I happy now? Did I use this time? Is it what really made me, you know, fulfilled. yeah, and, and I think a lot of people come to that juncture and there's different ways that they react to it. Some go out and buy a big car with a big engine and move on their way. And other people take a moment, look at it and realize that they have choices like yourself. You don't have to live a certain way. There's a, there is a choice to take on yeah. anything. If it's anxiety, depression, what people think, any of those things, any of that is still a choice just as much as bacon and eggs or, you know, a bagel and cream yes. cheese. Still the yes. same thing. Hey, academics. Have you endured life's tragedies, trials, and tribulations? Did you adapt and overcome? Do you have advice for others to pay forward and want to be a guest? Then email us a brief two to three minute video to show at the tragedyacademy.com and tell us how our academics can learn and grow from these experiences. Thanks again for your support. and Now back to class. Right. You get into acting and you have lived through defending people in whether they're guilty, not guilty, whatever it might be. Yeah. But you get to see that their layers of experiences over time created the condition that they're in at that moment, right? Do you find that that gives you an edge when you're asked to go into these roles because you've seen and virtually lived through each one of these people's environments that they've gone through, because I've I've worked with litigation yeah. and stuff like that. And I know that when you get into depositions and when you read through these things, you invest everything into it and you become,
1: you almost have to think like the person for a period of time. Does this help you in your new roles as acting? I think so. I mean, look, when I talk about acting, I think one of the things I, I took Convinced myself early on, or realized early on, is that I'm not going to be Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. That I don't have that ability. Right? I have the ability, though, to be present and to connect to someone else. Right? To someone who's not known, as, who's that uh, nobody has a preformed image of. So, but it's about that present connection, and it goes back to what I said earlier: the commonality of the problems. Right? So there's no disconnection. So I can move into another person, what they, how they're seeing things. And look, I'm, my acting career is at its infancy, right? But I can see the different people, where they're coming from, what their perspectives are, and it's that real connection that allows me to say, okay, this is how this person would be, and bring this to the screen as best I, as best I can, and make it my, make it my own, essentially, right? Take, you take take, you know, if I'm playing some guy, Jim, the store owner, I, I, I make it my own, but I see where Jim's pain points are. I see where his joy is. I see what's going on. And I try to project that onto the screen. That's amazing. Uh,
0: what I had read not long back, I had talked about this before that everybody should take a stab at being a method actor. And the reason for that was that in order to be able to really empathize with people, you have to have had the experiences that they've had. Well, we can't do that. Right. We can't necessarily go through what anybody else has gone through, but we can act out the process. And if you, that's more dedication to empathy than you would ever get through day-to-day life. And you would have so much better of an understanding of anybody's situation. So... Uh, the recommendation was just to to do some classes as a method actor so you could get into the practice of understanding somebody's viewpoints and start to be able to practice a different form of empathy. I, I, I think that that's
1: something that uh, you could probably use every day. Well, yeah, but you're right. And because, you know, I, I, I heard this a while back, um, I think it's such great when we hear someone else's story we have, then we have the opportunity to love them. And when we start thinking about a character or a pain point and and what they're going through, we can see that common connection and then we can see that pain point and then we can bring that to the character. I mean, I look at it, if I'm going to act in a project, I'm a servant to the story and I'm a servant to the character and whatever role they play in that story. And that commonality, that common bridge to me makes it so much easier because I don't have to go through what that character's gone through. I don't have to empathize. I can connect. Mm, I like that. I like that. Well, maybe it's more in turn for
0: people in society today that should uh, take those times to empathize, just like you're saying. Um, I got to say, so I'm trying to, uh, I want to try to understand or give people a pathway to get to, um, you know, some of the, the steps that you've taken and sure. you say happiness and now you're, you're acting and you're pursuing everything. How does one, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to hear if happiness is my beacon, um, which I think it is a, is an amazing statement. How is someone to leave the shackles that they're trapped in when they feel like there is no happiness? To even pursue?
1: Wow, that's that's a phenomenal question. Um, I think first we'd have to reject the premise that there is no happiness to pursue, right? I Correct. mean, we we see happy people out there. We know we can be happy. The one, you know, the one thing that I guess I start with, and it's you know, it's true of me in the cancer chair. It's true of whatever. Almost, almost all the problems out there. We have to remember that they're temporary. Mm. Almost every single problem and when we and when we experience the problem, we tend to forget that. Like if we if we get divorced, we think we're never gonna be in another relationship again or break up with a partner. When we get fired from a job, we think we're never gonna find that good a good job. So if if we start remembering that the problems we have are temporary, they become more manageable, right? Because if it's a forever existence, it's like well, you're never going to win. It's just always going to be like that. But that's not true. And one of the things that I would challenge people to do in that regard, if somebody's sitting there, oh Kirk, you're full of it. you're full of it. There's these problems are going to be temporary. I would challenge everybody uh, listening to go back and think about the problems they had five years ago. And odds are. Those aren't going to be problems in your life if you can even remember them, right? So the door ding you got in your new car that you had to—you're so upset about and worked up about and all this—you might not even remember that. The relationship that ended five years ago—you might not even remember, or be, you might be happy that it happened. I agree. These problems were so traumatic at the time, right? And yep. now they're now they're forgotten, or they're seen as gifts. Because they moved you somewhere else. Like you get fired from a job, you got a better job. Relationship ends, you find a better relationship. So if we start thinking there, then the problem that we need to overcome, my one-man show is called Overcome Jody Arias. And I say, if I can overcome cancer and Jody Arias, you can overcome things in your life. And it starts with understanding that they're temporary. You say, okay, they're temporary. And then you start asking yourself the question, with these, with this, am I happy? Confront yourself with that question, are you happy? So if you say you're not happy, you don't think it's out there, yeah, it is. It's going to be out there. You see happy people around you. You're not, uh, nobody is excluded on the happiness cycle, right? It's a matter of taking some of that debris off, that belief. Don't don't argue for your limitations. Don't argue for your limitations and go out there and say, okay, what makes me, and it could be just as simple as this, what makes me happy? well, maybe watching uh, a certain show on TV makes you happy. Do more of that. Maybe walking outside makes you do more of that. And then you begin to decide, hey, I kind of like being happy. I kind of like this happiness thing. And there is, even if it's just small spinches, you know, I heard a, a story once to say, you know, even if you don't have any money, spend a little bit on something that brings you joy. And the, the woman, she had like a you know a f- a few pennies and she bought one of those Bazooka Joes with the comics in it. And the comic made her laugh and they gave her a moment of joy. And we start connecting to joy and we get more joy back. So it's doing those little things. They don't have to cost money. Like I say, walking outside, whatever it is. And you start saying, okay, I like this being happiness stuff. What makes me happy? What changes in my life would make me happier? I know as adults, right? We have a, a modicum of responsibility. We can't, as a you know, if you're if you're a, a, a parent of two kids and you got a mortgage and everything else, you can't just say I'm done. But you can start working on things to transition towards more happiness, and you can immediately do that. And you're going to find joy just in that, just making that. that step. You know, and then then there's more. It's not going to come in an instant, right? It's not going to be like a like a hit off a a, a bong or something, it's going to take some time, but you're going to find little by little and you're going to start realizing there is joy and you start following that.
0: I I love that. And I like that you started out with, um, essentially the only thing permanent that we have in our life is change. Nothing will ever stay the same it will never be the same situation forever. It will always continue to grow and you will find those things that you look back on in life and you'll say, you know, thank God for those unanswered prayers or thank God for those trials and tribulations, you know, and I do. And, and that leads me to, uh, to something and that is, uh, gratitude. Um, I think that that's the backbone of uh, a lot of, of what we're discussing as well, because in order to uh, take that leap of faith, you've got to be happy with who you are. You've got to start out with that gratitude and, and, and accepting yourself for face value and then being grateful for everything that you have around. You can't take that victim stance like, you know, you can't make your inability to move forward or pursue your greatness be your persona.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and and you're right, so much of us and I and I know that there's 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 people out there who who don't have shelter and don't have food and everything else and that makes it a little tougher, but for the most of us we always ha- have something to be grateful for. Whether it's the roof over our head, whether it's the food in our fridge, whether it's our breath whether it's knowing we're alive, whether it's being able to see a sunset, that sort of thing. All those things start out from a point of you realize it, and it's, it is connected. And I'm glad you brought that up, Jay. It's connected to happiness, right? We're grateful for some of the things we have. We're grateful. We may think our car is this total piece of junk, but it gets us to work. And even the job we hate, right? Right. We're grateful for it because it provides us some of those things. Like you could be out there right now hating your job, but at the same time, it pays for your car, it pays for your kids' lunch, it does whatever it does for you, and you know that. So you can be grateful for even things you don't enjoy. And you know, one of the things I think is it's been a cool thing for me um, that I think a lot of listeners might might want to incorporate in their life is I have what I call a gratitude buddy, and it's a friend hmm. of mine. And we just text each other every morning, three things we're grateful for. Three things we're grateful for every morning. So, and it's, it could be simple. It could be simple stuff. Like I live in Arizona. I'm pretty grateful my air conditioner works. Now, a lot of people might not get, be, be mindful of that, but I say, I'm grateful my air conditioning works. I'm grateful my 13 year old dog is still alive. I'm grateful for my breath. I'm grateful for the food in my pantry, whatever it is that day. And I just text it out to her and I, I start my day, you know, it's like first thing when I wake up, I start my day doing that. And I do that out of habit and she does the same thing to me. And so then I'm, then I'm happy that my friend, you know, and I get more happiness because my friend's doing these things and is feeling grateful. And then I go about my day and it's just a great way to reflect on all those things you have. And some days you go, uh, but yeah, but you always have your breath you always have you know the the you're alive the sun is out whatever it is it's all there and it's just such a great way to start the day from a position of gratitude
0: i love that i actually have this um this thing called a panda planner um again, okay. it sounds super manly um my panda planner Um, it's got, uh, this place in the uh, beginning of it, it's all geared around gratitude. You have to put down three things that you're grateful for. Um, you have to put down, you know, different ways that you love yourself, you know, all these different items as well as what you're going through each day. Um, and you're right, it's habits are easily created just as well as they're broken. You can create the habit of practicing gratitude. You can create the habit of living, you know, the life that you're describing when your feet hit the ground, when you turn out of the bed, you know, instead of saying, ah, shit, you know, you say good morning, you know, or something like that, because and fake it till you make it. This is the beauty of this shit. Our brain is so effed up and so pliable that you could literally lie to it for about a year straight. And eventually it's going to believe you. If you just keep telling yourself, I believe in it. I am grateful. I am, you know, I should be accepted for who I am. If you say those things, you'll start to believe
1: them at some point. It's amazing how that works. Well, you're right. And, and really our brain or at least what I would call the ego, not the narcissistic ego, but the protective ego. Real ego. Li- I'm with you. Lies to us, right? In terms of fear and everything else. And I, uh, and I've talked about that in other places. there's fears. They're not even real fears. They're an illusion, but you, they are, but you know, it doesn't have to be. And I think the point I want, I want to make with this gratitude is, you don't have to, and and if a if a journal works for you, I don't care what it's called. I don't care if it's the Hello Kitty journal that you write in, right? Um, it it doesn't have to be grandiose. That's why I love the texting thing because it takes two minutes, right? I make jokes about it, but I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. That stupid
0: panda planner. I send them to my friends just to give you an idea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but you see what I'm saying? I, I don't want anybody to think it has to be this grandiose obligation right where you got to journal and everything else no just those three things now that might lead to journaling that might lead to more reflection that might lead to a meditation practice i meditate uh every day um Same. but i haven't missed it in two and a half years yeah and so you know it can lead to you know who knows where it's going to lead to and, and just like life when you uh, give way to your heart or your authenticity or whatever word you want to use. You never know where it was going to lead. I mean, I remember when I left the practice of law. I my intention and and I still do it occasionally was to uh, be a life coach for lawyers to help them deal with the stress. I really wanted to help lawyers out, and it and here I went up writing eight books and, uh, you, you know, doing legal commentary and starting an acting career and being on a fitness show. Never things that I envisioned when I left the practice of law. It's just because I followed my happiness and my bliss. You know, it's it's funny that you said that,
0: that you ended up where you were and it wasn't where you started. And when I was when I was reading, um, you know, part of your book, it said that think back to your childhood um, about what, you know, was your greatness or what it is that was the most important thing to you at that point in time. And I remember back then that I was always intrigued or loved music and I loved speaking and making people laugh and making people happy. And I, you know, I went through life being bullied and things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, having a body dysmorphia, having, you know, all of these different OCD, anxiety, bipolar, running the spectrum, all those things that are created. They're not, I don't care what anybody says. They're not born of the brain. They're yeah. born of experiences. And, you know, I went through those things and I stifled every single one. I proved that I could do any damn job on the planet. You know, because I just can, but I couldn't be happy until I went back to the beginning and I ended up sitting in a chair where I create my own music. All of the artwork, everything in between, which I did not know I could do before. Actually, music to me was something I loved and I didn't know how I could ever create it. I thought that I would never be able to,
1: that it was just out of my realm of possibility. That's for smart people. That's so for- you were arguing for your limitations against what was in your heart. Yes. Correct.
0: Just like you said earlier. And then all of a sudden I sat down and I put, you know, I put myself into it. Turns out I'm. And really good at it and I love it and it's that's the first time I've ever said that out loud in front of people but you know it, it turns out that that's what I was supposed to be doing but I can tell you this I wouldn't be able to make a lick of music or have a single conversation or do any of this artwork if I hadn't a had drug my head through the mud for you know x amount of years to get to this point and I think everybody has a destination and everybody has something that they're supposed to go through to make them who they are.
1: We're all walking through something just to be able to give back yeah. later. Well, look, I think introspection is, is, a, is the, it's kind of a bugaboo word that people hate to hear, but I think it's of such value. But I think, again, I'm gonna, I'm going to say it's a matter of unlearning. I'm going to say that, yes, mm-hmm. that you were arguing for your limitations and you decided to stop arguing for your limitations. 100%. And, the le- right and up you're the right, head. there's lessons in that, right? But at the same time, you know, they're not as complicated as they were because they were there before. So we unlearn things, we connect to it, we stop arguing for our limitations, and voila, what happens? I mean, look... I remember, and I had one of the most cathartic moments uh, after I had given up my law degree because I didn't want to, or my law license because I didn't want to fall back into it. Uh, I remember, you know, I mean, in my, in my book, I talk about how hard it was for me to get into law school, all the trials and tribulations I went through. I wanted to be a lawyer so bad for so many years, I finally made it. And then, oh, I guess probably three years ago now, I had my certificate of admissions for the uh, State Bar of Arizona, my Supreme Court certificate saying I could practice law in Arizona. And I went out to my backyard with a lighter, and I burned that thing. Good for you. And I watched it burn, and it was so cathartic because it was a cut from the – it was a a release from the past. It was permission to go to my own mission, and we all – you know, whether we need to physically burn something uh, or a, a tie to the past, you know, I mean. Ties to other people, all those things. ties to other people. Yeah, all those things that keep us contained, like even, you know, even a high school yearbook, you know, looking back, you could be tied to that. Like, oh, look at how, look at my glory days, right? Bruce Springsteen, right? But, but what value is that to your life now? It's not, it's not now. Exactly. So once you connect to that, I think you could start to have that kind of release and have that experience you talked about. It wasn't that you discovered you were pretty good at 100%. it. You Well, you always were pretty good at it. You just, you just reconnected to it. Your heart, knew, your heart knew it all along. Your, your ego kept you from it. And then you reconnected to it. I agree 100%. And that's what introspection
0: gets you. It's, it's, yeah. you get to find out that the layers are, are there, but they're actually, they're not even layers. They're, they're almost like spider web threads. And they're attached to all these things. And when you look at them, they look impenetrable. They look like all those limitations in life. And they're around you and you're staring at them. But in reality, all you have to do is just go or step through them because they don't exist. They're not here now. Like you said, the only thing that is now is now we spend our whole lives in anxiety and depression. What's that? Fear of the future, fear of the past. And we sit there and tie ourselves in knots. Like I was talking the other day, you take a rope and you start all the issues that you get in life or everything that you perceive as struggles and you go through them. You got two choices. When you're the rope, you can either let it go by or you can tie a knot right? Most people will tie a knot in the rope. They're going to hold on to it. It's gonna, not going to go to the past, not going to, you know, just be some figment that you went through or a lesson learned. And every time you go through these trials and tribulations and you don't release them and you don't live in the now anymore and you hold on to them, you get another knot in that rope. What happens to that rope? It looks like a bundled mess. What is that bundled mess? Cancer, anxiety, depression, all those things that you can unravel through meditation, through working out, through finding what your creative outlets are, whatever your passion is, your greatness, all the different descriptions. If you went over to India, they'd tell you something different for you. Christianity, tell you a different one for you. It's all the same thing. It's do what you're here to do. Be who you're here to be, and that is to affect change. You talk about living in the now. That means that we own a mindful moment. We actually own two. We own our own and we own the other person looking at us or any other mindful moment that we're giving or taking away from people at that point in time. People like to give away their mindful moments like to hand them out because they don't want to introspect or think about the now. So hand them to you and I, actors, people that are speaking on platforms, creators, things like that. There's an onus with that. The onus is Make sure that you're putting out things that affect change things that give a different perspective to where, who we are, how we live and what we can do for humanity as a whole. And it can be the smallest thing, smallest pieces of guidance. It's your calling, whatever cog you are in that machine, just
1: do it with greatness, do it with pride and do it from the heart. And the rest will come in turn. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one of the things that come to mind when you were talking about your, your analogy with the rope uh, is that, you know, feelings are meant to be felt. So many times we, we have this, um, particularly I think on the on the male uh, side of the spectrum, we have this uh, idea that we're not supposed to have these feelings. We're supposed to suppress them. And, and the same is true of women as well. But I think, you know, boys aren't supposed to cry, you know, that sort of thing, right? And when we feel those feelings, that we normally want to reject, I think that helps tie us to the now because that experience is the one we're supposed to have at that moment before we can Mm. move forward. So part of being tied to the now is experiencing the feelings of the moment because you're not really fully invested in the moment if you're not feeling the feelings that you're supposed to feel at that moment if you're rejecting them, right? And so- Can I like is,
0: snap or something? <laughs> what is it? How do I do that? Uh, yeah, I'm telling you, dude, you're preaching to the choir. I'm with you, man. But
1: look, what do we do to suppress feelings right now? I'm, I'm, you know, look, I, I enjoy Netflix. I enjoy TV. I enjoy anything else. But so, so many times we have a rough day. We turn on Netflix and it's not just for fun. It's to escape from the bad day, which I understand. I understand. It's 100%. Repeated, but what if you felt those feelings and what if those feelings indicated maybe it's time to look for another job? Or maybe it's time to look for another relationship. Or maybe it's time to try something different. And you just want to ignore that change and, and, and suck yourself into uh, a Netflix show, right? Uh, ho- hopefully one that I'm on, if you're going to win. <laughs>
0: oh, I love it.
1: I love it. I love it. But, but I,
0: I, I agree. Go
1: out there and make sure you're watching Kirk's stuff. Yeah. But but you know what I mean is so if feel those feelings and we can there's a difference you know when people say oh don't watch tv da 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 I don't think that way if you're doing it for fun that's awesome if you're doing it to escape a feeling don't do that because a feeling is there to teach you something it's there to be felt and teach you something and help you reconnect to your greatness it's another drug it is another drug. People
0: don't realize that whatever they're substituting, no matter what it is, we'll. we'll the only reason we frown upon drug addicts is because that's not the so, the socially acceptable way to deal with shitty life in reality. If it were socially acceptable, it'd be all right, yeah. you know. And the only reason why we want to persecute it is because we. The moment that we accept it's okay that they're in that situation, we have to be grateful for what the fuck we're doing. And that's not something we like to practice. We're not, we are not fans of too much gratitude when it comes to looking at others in painful situations. It's the reason why people look away from the homeless. The reason why they don't want to do, you know, all these things for people that are in need and things like that. It's not just because they're selfish. It's because when they look at them, they have to admit, I got it pretty fucking good. I should they They hate or we hate as, as a species to give up our ground or to admit that we're not as bad off as we think we are actually in a position to help.
1: Yeah. That's it. That's interesting. The part of the, you know, when I think about this journey that we're all on together as, as co-creators in this human experience, I think about the reality that we're supposed to be where we are. And that becomes harder to accept on the fringes, right? When we see someone um, in extreme poverty or I think extreme wealth, we want to um, tear. We, we, we seem to be okay as a collective, we in a, a society seem to be okay in, in tearing people down, right? They have too much money. People are mad at, at the Kardashians or Jeff Bezos or whatever but they're really where they're supposed to be on their journey. And the flip side of that is also true. And I think part of it is is the help, the, but part of it is the fear. And I think when we see someone who is not doing well economically, whatever form that takes, that becomes our greatest fear. Because the greatest mm. fear always becomes that we're going to, if we pursue our passion, that we're going to be broke and homeless living under a bridge somewhere, right? Judged as a failure, not yes, do well at right. it. That's our driving force in life is fear. Nobody wants to admit that. But once and, and once we see fear as an illusion, then it becomes easier to combat. One of the things I think I, I talk about in the book, attacking fear is really, to me, a two-part process. Is the fear viable? It's an ego-created situation. So one of the things I first like to do is attack the ego where the, on the field of place, which is logic. So that so the ego says, "Oh, you, you know, you broke da, da, da. Is that even viable? Does that even make any sense? Whatever the fear is, whether it's poverty, whether it's health, whatever. And ninety-nine times out of hundred, you're going to say that that's not even logically viable, right? Okay. And then what happens? Well, then that fear is weakened. Right, and then the flip side of it is, if that fear happens, so what? Like, oh, I'm afraid my partner's going to break up with me. Was well, it logical? Well, okay. So let's say that it's one of those few that 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 you know you worried in the right way, and it's possible. Okay, so then they weren't the right person for you anyway. So <laughs> what? So let's go on with exactly. my life. it. Right. They, so keep going. Keep going. It 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 can really be that simple when we talk about combating fear, right? Like, you know, when I left the law, it was like, oh my God, you know, that became the ultimate fear. Like, oh, you're going to be broken, homeless, living under a bridge. Well, you know, no, my wife has a job. Uh, you know, we can cut back. I'm not living life. So I attack it with, with that logic. And, you know, at the same time, like, and, and, and then if it happens, so what, and that's, that's a big, so what, but at the same time, you know, I made the choice, I think, when when I made the chance to, choice to step away from the law and when I made the choice to go into the chemo chair was that I was interested in not in surviving, but in thriving. And so I wanted to live a life where I was thriving and happy. And thriving means happy and joy and, and enjoying every moment as opposed to merely surviving. You know, and I had one of the greatest teachings in this regard. You know, I don't know if you know people, I know a few people right now that have countdown clocks to retirement, right? You ever see those, yeah, on, I've their, seen those. on their yeah, desk yeah, yeah. or whatever? I got a buddy who's like, he says, oh, only nine more years. I mean, he's he's really started the clock early. He's got a countdown calendar, right? But I had a buddy of mine who was a a veteran and an engineer and had a good job and everything else but he was so just looking forward to retirement. He had the little countdown clock, everything going on. And he went on his bucket list dream motorcycle ride and he was killed in a car accident. He was hit by a car uh, and killed during that dream trip. His retirement, the joy that he was seeking only lasted a few months, right? And I thought, what are we delaying this gratification for you know, for this, this someday, right? It's like goals, right? Uh, you know, I'm going to be happy when I get a new blah, 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 or a bigger house or whatever. And if that happens, it's short lived. And sometimes it doesn't even happen, right? You know, why not be happy now and attack those fears, see them for what they are and let them weaken on their own. I love all of that. It, It it lead. It, there's one one
0: thing that sticks out, and it's a Chinese, I think, proverb or something along that line that I think correlates to this. And that is, worry is preposterous. We're never going to get it right. Live in the now, because worry is not anything that you can actually get your hands on. You can't hand me a sack of the future. It's 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 a prediction that won't. And like you said, 99.9 percent of the time, and then there's that one time you might have worried right. I agree with you because otherwise we're a bunch of Nostradamuses walking around here, getting everything right wherever we go, which is not the case. We're almost always wrong to a pretty wide degree. And we don't, we never clue in on that fact. It's almost like the answer is right there in front of you the entire time,
1: but you're willing to play the
0: game, willing to play the game because you don't
1: want to stop and think. Yeah. And certainly we get reinforced with that to some degree, right? Like, we're not going to walk across the street and, uh, you know, rush hour traffic. Okay, that would be foolhardy. So we think, oh, we're supposed to play by these rules. But these kind of fears I'm talking about are different, right? They're future fears. They're irrational right. fears. They're metaphysical fears. They're, they're, they're illusions. They're figments of the imagination. They really are. So when we take those kind of fears out of the equation for our life, Life gets a lot happier right then and there.
0: I love that. Right then and there. I think we should end on that because I think that that's a great place. Everybody should know it's the here and now. It's right now. Pursue your greatness. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Be grateful. I love all the things that we've discussed and I know that uh, we didn't talk too much about your acting, but I think that we're going to be checking in with you as you as you grow in this career because I'm looking forward to seeing you and some stuff on Netflix. Um, but I want to thank you personally for writing Defend Your Greatness. Um, I thought it was a great read. I think it's a great message for a lot of people out there. Um, I feel like we don't get enough return accolades for the creative moments and things that we create in that moment of passion. This, my friend, is one of those that I feel like uh, people should should recognize you for. It's a really good message.
1: I appreciate that a great deal. Um, no apology is needed for for not talking about some of these other things because little meant more to me when I was writing it and putting it out there than talking about defend your greatness because I see so much unhappiness mm. around me. And, you know, a week or so back, I was filming the fitness show doing the first interview and and I was kind of tired. So, you know, we get a little more emotional when we're tired, I guess. And I realized how much it meant to me to be an example for cancer survivors. There you go. Because, because I knew how much, you know, dealing with cancer and going in that chair and feeling like, you know, lonely and like it wasn't going to come out of it. I wasn't going to be the same and I'm ultimately not the same. So defending your greatness was hopefully a great way for me to share the lessons I learned from cancer and, and the transition without people having to experience what I experienced. And, and then with the fitness show, it's about Putting a new physical form on cancer survivorship, on taking my fitness to the next level and teaching people that they can embrace those, that aspect of themselves as well. Because now I don't, I don't know how far you've gotten in to defend your greatness, but one of the things I think that's important is that the better physical care that we take care of ourselves, the more we're telling the universe we're willing to show up for our mission. I like that. When we check out, when we check out, when we're, we're smoking or drinking too much or we're you know, whatever it is, we're kind of disconnecting from the now. That's what we're using those substances for. Maybe it's food, maybe it's whatever. And we're telling the universe, no, I'd rather do this stuff, right? Instead of meditate and everything else. But when we show up, when we take care of ourselves, we're saying the universe kind of reporting for duty. Mm. And I think each and every person out there should consider reporting for duty and reporting to their greatness and and get to the process of defending their greatness right now. It can happen right now. I love that.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Kirk. I really appreciate you being on here and remember everybody be cool and keep learning. Hey academics. Thanks again for attending another class at the tragedy Academy. You can show us some love by subscribing, downloading and rating us five stars on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher or ask Amazon Alexa to play the tragedy Academy podcast. You can find links to all major podcast platforms and past episodes at thetragedyacademy.com. You can find us on all the majors of social media, on Instagram at thetragedyacademy2019, on TikTok at thetragedyacademy, and on Twitter at tragedy underscore academy, where we'll post our clips of upcoming shows, updated info, and thoughts. If you'd like to be a guest, send an email to show at thetragedyacademy.com. Keep an eye out on Instagram for Tragedy Academy giveaways. Thanks again for coming to class and remember, be cool, keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items, things like the fly was over four inches to the left or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey. You'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, they've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, They don't fade and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles and the art is nothing short of spectacular with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Maiden. Go take a look. End of the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30 day money back guarantee, lightning fast shipping and hassle free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes, Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees, but I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the AM. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to the tragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel
1: and the best designs ever. And remember academics, be cool and keep learning.